Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. If you're taking notes, the title of my message is A Different Kind of Christmas List, A Different Kind of Christmas List. How many of you, you have a tradition, you make Christmas lists uh, before Christmas so that people can know what you want? Anybody do this? Just a show of hands. Wow, very few people here. Uh, some of you are just like, yeah, I did, and I want my family to make sure that you got that Christmas list. It is a weird tradition. We do it in my family, uh, I think, just because I grew up with four sisters, and some of them definitely did cry on Christmas because they didn't get the things that they wanted. And so we have a tradition of doing Christmas lists, which is odd because we do this thing with each other where we pretend like we don't really care about presents, but we do, right? Every single person in here that said, like, I don't really care about gifts, if you came down on Christmas morning and there was nothing there, you would be like, I care a little bit about gifts. You know what I mean? Uh, there's a, it's a little bit, you know? Um, and it's weird when we put together lists because it's sort of our way of saying, like, you don't have to get me anything, okay? It's not about that. But if you do, give me one of these specific things. Do not stray from this list whatsoever. But we have people in my family, and maybe you do in yours too, that ask for a list and then do not buy anything on the list. Do you have people like this in your family? And I'm like, why did you ask? Why did you ask for it if you were gonna freestyle some weird thing that I'm not interested in, okay? Uh, just tell me like, hey, I'm gonna get you something and then you can take it back later. Just say that up front. Don't ask for the list. Um, I wonder if any of you parents have ever caught in a glimpse of your kid's Christmas list and as you're looking down at you're just like, wow, you are gonna be disappointed this year because we do not have that kind of money. Uh, especially now, like as my kids are getting older, stuff they're putting on the list, I'm just like, I don't even know, I don't know what you think preachers make, but it's nowhere close to this. Like, I'm not even in this ballpark, you know? They're like, I would like a new phone, uh, maybe a Tesla, a trip to Hawaii. I'd like to meet Mark Wahlberg. I'm like, we all would, okay? I don't have that kind of money. I'm not Scrooge McDuck, okay? I don't have a giant room full of coins that I can swim around in and spend in whatever. I just wanted you guys to know who Scrooge McDuck was, as it just makes me happy in my heart. Anybody remember DuckTales? That has nothing to do with my sermon. I just, <laughs> it just made me think about it. But as we get older, things get more complicated. When you're younger, things are simpler. And more importantly, if you're a parent, they're cheaper, okay? Um, when I was a kid, the biggest thing I remember wanting really, really bad when I was like seven-ish years old, I wanted the little people, Fisher-Price little people uh, playset uh, airport. Do you guys remember these things? Like, I thought this was the greatest thing ever, and I begged my parents for it because I just thought that, like, this would be the amazing, the most amazing thing ever. And there's nothing creepy about these little figures at all, right? Just smooth like, you know, cylinder bodies, no arms and legs, and everyone wears a lot of mascara in this world. <laughs> it's almost like parents give it to you and they're like, enjoy your nightmares, children, here you go. And I begged for this thing. I, I, it was this sort of thing where I was just like, this is the only thing I want, just give me this and nothing else. And I genuinely thought in my head, I don't know if you've done this before, I thought, you know, if, if I get this, it will be the last thing I ever need, okay? It'll be the last thing I ever asked for because what more could a person need? 
than the Fisher-Price Little People's Airport playset. And the amazing thing is I got it. So amazing, mom and dad, fantastic. And I loved it. And I played with it every day. I was like, this is the greatest thing in the world. And I thought that for like eight days. <laughs> and then I started getting a little bit bored. And I was just like, oof. And then I saw a commercial on Saturday morning, Saturday morning cartoons for Power Wheels. I don't know if you guys remember this. And I saw this and I was like, wait a minute. I think I made a mistake, okay? This is the last thing I will ever need to be happy. What more could anyone ask for? How do we feel about giving me an advance on my birthday? You know what I mean? I'm asking this the day after Christmas. But I, like, I think we all sort of do this thing. You've done it, right? Probably more times than you can even count where you get fixated on something and you're convinced that you need it. And, you know, in your head, you sort of rationalize it. Being like, I know people say that, like, you know, things can't make you happy. But, like, maybe this one can, you know, because <laughs> it feels like it would for me this year. And I think we all have stuff that finds itself into this way into this category. I think everyone wants something they think will change everything. And that something could be anything. The type of stuff that we look to to improve our lives and make us feel better are things like simple pleasures, right? Like it's a pair of new shoes. How many of you are like, I could live off the joy of a pair of new shoes for like three weeks? It would really do it for me. Like a Starbucks, like the perfect Starbucks drink can just drown out all of your frustrations with the carpool that you were driving, right? Uh, relaxing on the beach, which we happen to have here. Um, when I lived in Arizona, they were like, we have a beach too. And I'm like, yours isn't connected to water. So it's just sand here. I don't think it counts. Little things like this that uh, we think we're going to make us feel better. Status symbols, things like an exotic vacation or a brand new car or a nice house or name brands or just having disposable income sitting aside and getting to use on whatever we want. Social dynamics. Like, man, this next year, if I could just get, like, the love of a, a new baby. And some of you are like, we have aged out of that. So that, don't put that on me right now. But some of us, we think that. Or maybe the respect of your father. Maybe for you, it's, it's just achieving this enviable goal that if you could just do that and accomplish that, life would feel so much better. But the problem is, often when we get the thing that we want, it doesn't feel as good as we thought or last as long as we've hoped. Even when the thing that you wanted was good and it was promised to you by God. And that can get really confusing. But haven't you sat in the aftermath of thinking like, if I could just get this, if I could just do that, if I could just achieve this, if I could, if I could make this thing happen or receive this thing in my life, everything would be all right. Isn't it shocking how short-lived that always is? I bring this up because Mary and Joseph in the Christmas story, they were promised a baby. And this baby would be special. And this baby was going to change their life. And in fact, this baby was going to change the world. And they felt like God promised them that, that he was going to provide them with everything they needed to take care of this baby. And yet they have the baby and they're still broke and destitute. But what they don't know is that somewhere else on the other side of the world, 
another part of the story is unfolding. And this is what I want to pick up and, and read to you today. This is Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the reign of King Herod. And about that time, some wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star and we've come to worship him. And after they met with King Herod, which is a whole big thing, we did a whole week on it, week one, the wise men went on their way. And the star guided them to the place where the child was. And when they saw it, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasure chests, which is amazing because it makes it feel like they're pirates, and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So I wanna just unpack a little bit of what's happening here. You have these wise men who are sometimes called kings or astrologers. We don't really know who they were. Um, the literal Greek translation is magical people from the east, which makes it sound like they're wizards from Hogwarts, and that's kind of fun too. And we don't really know about these specific people. Uh, we don't even know that there were three of them. We just assumed there were three because there were three gifts, but there could have been 300. We have no idea. What, what we do know just from history through scripture and extra biblical sources is that um, magi it was like a category of people that populated the ancient East. And they usually possessed unique wisdom and insight. They often were found near people with positions of power, like kings and rulers. And they were often leveraged, and we see this a lot in scripture, to interpret complex situations and give sound advice. In fact, Daniel, who there's a book in the Bible called Daniel, named after Daniel. It's very creative, okay? And he is a magi, right? He is someone who serves in the Persian government. Um, he serves King Nebuchadnezzar, and he is uh, there to like buy power, like, and he interprets dreams, and he gives wisdom. That's just part of his role. This is sort of an office or a category of people. And so these particular wise men, aware of these cryptic Jewish prophecies, uh, come from the east. Probably they know these because Daniel lived in the east in Persia where these people are from and they might have known the prophecies from when he was still around. And they go to investigate and pay homage and give gifts to this new king that's supposed to be born. And in fact, a lot of historians believe that this story, the gift giving in this story sparked the tradition of gift giving in Christmas. And what is interesting to me about that little tidbit is that of all of the incredible details in the story, that this is the one our culture latched onto. We need to buy presents. <laughs> and I just wonder, like, what does that say about us? That that's like the one thing that we get from this. And we go hard, too. Like, when it comes to getting Christmas gifts, we go as far in as people can go. Think about how much stress revolves around, you know, getting gifts. Who to get them for? And do we owe them? And what if they get us one? We forgot to give them one. Is that going to be weird? And how do we get the right thing? And if we order it, is it going to get here on time? What about shipping delays? Are we going to have time to wrap it? Is, are they going to like it? Do we get a gift receipt? What happens if they don't like it? Is our friendship over? Is it going to be weird between us? Think about how much money that you have spent over the years, and maybe for some of you, how much debt you've gone into to try and acquire the perfect gift for somebody else. And why do we do this? 
because we are hoping that the thing that we give them will make them happy, which, you know, hit or miss, right? <laughs> Depending, there have been some years where you're like, oh man, they're gonna love me so much when I give them this gift, and it didn't work. And there were other times where it really did thrill them, but the thrill, like it does often, doesn't often last. And I think it brings up this question of, we give gifts to sort of see people smile and make them happy, but is that even really the goal that we ought to be aiming at, happiness? I wanna just draw a distinction because all around Christmas, there's sort of this theme of joy. We sang about it today, joy to the world, right? There's this word joy that comes up over and over again in the gospels referring to Christmas and what Christ brings through it. But joy is something that is different than happiness, in fact, happiness is, I would define as a passing moment of pleasure you experience when you get what you want, okay? And you know this feeling. I would liken it to when you are starving and you go out to dinner and that basket of hot chips arrives on the table and it's perfectly salted and the fresh-made salsa, they slide it across. And what you experience in that moment is happiness, Right? You're just like, oh, is there a greater feeling on earth than just that feeling where you're so thirsty and you're so hungry and they, they just drop the chips off? It's amazing, right? But that's different than joy. Joy is the lasting sense of satisfaction that you experience as you become more like Christ, right? When you have this sense that you are actually becoming a better person, that you're more in tune with who you were made to be. It's sort of this awareness that you know, chips, hot chips, as delicious as they are, can never really fulfill you, but Christ can. And we're gonna print that on a t-shirt next year for swag, because <laughs> my daughter wants it. <laughs> chips can't fill you, Christ can. And then on the back it's gonna say, but queso, question mark. <laughs> it just feels like the only natural, I'm not saying it will or won't, I'm just saying we don't know, the jury's out. So what you'll notice about this is that one of these things revolves around what you're getting and the other around who you're becoming. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, he says it this way, that um, in 1 Timothy 6, 6, he says, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. And this phrase that's translated here as great wealth means deep fulfillment. And the two things that are required for deep fulfillment are two things that Americans are not very good at. Godliness and contentment. Like not our strong suits. We'd rather just shop online. Hey, free delivery. If you just, if you can reach the $200 mark. I was only gonna buy a $15 thing, but we should go for it, free shipping. <laughs> and we do this, but it's not working. And you know this firsthand because you've had experiences over the course of your life where you have gotten thing after thing after thing that you thought was gonna be the only thing that you would need from here on out. And it ended up just being another thing. None of them fixed everything. None of them brought you true joy. And this is the reason why. Because joy is a perspective, not a possession. Joy is a perspective, not a possession. And I get that you might be thinking like, okay, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know if I agree because I feel like I would be so much happier if I just went on this trip or got this raise or bought that shirt or get this girl to like me, okay? And guess what? You are right. 
You will be happier for a short period of time to some extent, but it doesn't last. And the reason that we think it will last, the reason why we think that we will get joy if we get the things that we want is that we imagine that those who have what we want feel like we wish we did. Don't you have this sense that when you look at what other people have, whether it's online or in person, that you just kind of think like, well, of course they're happy. Of course they love their life. Look at what they've got. Look at what they've been given. Look at what they've achieved. Look at the opportunities that opened up. Look at where they're taking this photo from. I mean, if I had that, I would be, I mean, that's fulfillment. It's got to be. If that's what I was working with, everything would be so much easier. But no one's story is as simple as you might think. You know what happened to Mary and Joseph? The day after, they got the greatest gifts that they could ever imagine. These unbelievable gifts from the Magi that would change the course of their life. It says this, Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. After the wise men were gone, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, flee to Egypt, stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is searching for the child to kill him. And that night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and his mother. You know what happens the day after you get everything you ever wanted? You wake up and realize that you are still you. That you still have to live your life. That you still have to make your way in the world. That you still have to wrestle through all of your same issues. That this thing didn't change everything. Now you still have to face all those things and you get to lug this thing along with you. The day after Joseph was gifted with what typically only kings possess, he was forced to pack up his entire life and flee to a place where he didn't know anyone. He didn't know the customs. <clears throat> he didn't know the language. He would have immediately had to scrounge for work to support his family. And opportunities would not have come as easy to him as they would uh, to people who grew up there. I don't know if you know this, but Jews and Egyptians have a history. And some of that history is in the Old Testament. Remember that whole let my people go, slaves in Egypt thing? It uh, turns out they didn't forget about that. Everybody is still aware it happened and it still stung. And so it's likely that even though they're hiding in Egypt, that it's very clear that they are Jews and that they're facing a lot of prejudice just to live their everyday lives. And the whole time, you know, Mary, she just wants to go home. She wants to be near her family. She wants her son to grow up around his cousins and his grandparents and his aunts and his uncles, just like she'd been dreaming about since she was a little girl. And she, she tries not to bring it up to Joseph because she understands that there's a reason why they are not going home. There's a reason why they had to flee here. But it doesn't stop her from feeling that way. But Joseph can feel her sadness. And he feels responsible for it. I imagine him lying in bed at night just thinking like, what are we doing here? Should we have even done this? I made a major decision 
based on a conversation with an angel in a dream while asleep. Am I crazy? Was that God? Or is that just like my own imagination? Maybe it was some bad hummus. I don't know. His days were full of unease. I imagine him feeling suspicious of everyone, constantly nervous that somebody from where he was from was gonna track him down and find them out and turn them in. And then there are the reports that are trickling in from where he came from, reports of the sons of his friends being slaughtered by Herod's soldiers. And the reason they killed their boys was because they couldn't find Joseph's. And his heart broke for them. He wonders if it was worth it. He imagines that everybody he ever cared about probably hates him because of this decision. And he wouldn't blame them. And I gotta tell you, when all of this is swirling around you, the fact that you have a treasure chest with gold, frankincense, and myrrh in it doesn't do much for you. Because you are still you. You still live in the real world. You still have real problems that you have to face. And the biggest problems that we face in life can't be solved with stuff. Because no matter how great a stuff it is, stuff is never enough. There will always be something else, something more, something better. I gotta tell you, like, if joy is a thing, you will discover it will always be a thing you don't have. And the second you get it, you'll realize that joy somehow miraculously leaped onto another thing. And now you have to pursue that. One New Testament author says it this way in Hebrews chapter 13, verse five. He says, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. God says, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Which is a bold thing to say to real people with real needs. People who are calling out to God and saying, God, if you would just give me a raise, if you would just give me this thing, if you would just give me this gift, if you would just provide for this one need, God, if we just had a little bit of extra money, like everything would be okay. And God is saying, the biggest issues you're facing can't be fixed with money. And then he says this, this is the primary way that I'm gonna provide for you by giving you my presence. In other words, when God comes to earth to make everything right that is wrong, instead of giving us a thing, he gives us himself. He comes near to us, he cares for us, he commits to us. And even though that is exactly what we need, it's not always what we want. There are times where we push back and we're just like, God, you said you were going to provide and supply all of my needs. And naturally, I assumed that that was going to mean that my life was going to work out the way I wanted it to. This is not the kind of provision I asked for. The ability to survive a season I don't like. The ability to navigate a tragedy I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. The ability to weather a storm I never saw coming. Joseph did not sign up to live life on the run. It was a surprise. So why did he keep living? Why did he keep going with it? Because he did sign up for Mary. 
He signed up for this baby. And wherever that commitment took him, he was going to go. What I find amazing about this story is that God gives Jesus three unbelievably impressive gifts through the wise men. And they're all beautiful, but like when you think about it, they're mostly unusable, at least at this stage of his life. The greatest gift that God gave Jesus during the early years of his life wasn't gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It was a father. Someone to sit with him and walk alongside him. It wasn't a thing, it was a person. And that person in this story was Joseph. And I wonder if you are trying to give your friends and family every imaginable gift they could ever want, except for the one they really need, you. I think we can become so focused on what we want to give to and get from others, that especially during this season, we can miss out on simply being with others. And that's where all the juice is at. I think sometimes what we are called to walk people through is uncomfortable. It was for Joseph. So how do we stay the course? Some modern thinkers re refer to like this dilemma that we all face in our lives as this sort of internal battle between two selves your experiential self and, and your narrative self. So your experiential self is the part of you that lives exclusively in the present and it just wants to feel good. It just wants to feel good right now. But your narrative self lives with this big picture perspective that wants to be good. In other words, there's all these two, these two forces within you that are just parts of your own person that are like, just do what's gonna feel good to you right now. And there's this other part of you that's always trying to zoom out and say, is that the kind of person you wanna be? Is that the kind of life you wanna live? Is that the story that you want to be told about you? And sometimes these things are synced up where the thing that you are excited to experience also happens to align with the story that you hope to tell. And sometimes they're at odds because sometimes the thing that is required of you in order to become the person that God has called you to be require you to walk through some experiences that you do not want to live through in the here and now. Your narrative self is that part of you that, that wants to be a person that keeps their commitments, but your experiential self is that part of you that wants to bail when things get hard. Your narrative self is that part of you that wants to do what's best for them, but your experiential self is that piece of you that just wants to do what you feel like doing for you right now. Your narrative self is that part of you that wants to be fit for your family pictures next week, but your experiential self is the part of you that's like, we're gonna go ahead and eat another basket of those chips. You guys making tortillas back there? Maybe another three bowls of queso. Let's do this. It's Christmas. All of us have these two selves inside us, giving us opinions about how to live every given moment. And the question is, which one do you listen to most?
And when they disagree, who wins? Because the experiential self just wants what it wants. But joy isn't found in just possessing a prize, but being fully present and making peace with the process. And this is what we think. We think if I can just get the prize, the thing that I want, everything will be okay. And yet, that's not how you work. I want to just unpack what I mean by a couple of these terms. Being fully present means refusing to delay the enjoyment of your life until sometime in the future, if and when you get what you want. And it decides to try and find and live inside of the beauty that's available to you right now. Making peace means that you're not wishing that you didn't have to go through all of this to get through that, but realizing that this thing that you are walking through right now is part of the process to get to the thing that God has promised you. And God doesn't waste any moment, any trial, any difficulty, any step that he asks you to take. And for Mary and Joseph, it was gonna mean that they were gonna have to travel through Egypt in order to get to Nazareth. And it was going to be a difficult season. And they were gonna have a treasure chest full of all of this incredible wealth sitting in a trunk somewhere hidden in the back of their tent. But they still had to live their everyday life. And as great as those gifts were, what sustained Mary and Joseph in their season of struggle wasn't the wise men's presence, but God's presence. And I think the same is true of you. I think you will find yourself in a moment of difficulty wishing that if you had something more, then everything would be better. And I think what God is always trying to open our eyes to is that the one thing that allows you to tap into true joy, you already have access to, the presence of God, the creator of the universe who made you and loves you and sees you and can show you the beauty of this moment that will sustain you and strengthen you to move along the path he has you on to reach the prize that he has promised you. Here's what I think Mary and Joseph understood, that the process is part of the prize. Which is why a prize that we get never means as much when we sort of cheat the process. Because joy is less about what you get and more about who you become along the path. And maybe as you look back over your life, you can see and feel that this is true. When I look back on like the first few years that my wife and I were married, we didn't have any of the things that we wanted. We were poor. Like we didn't have much of anything. We were, I mean, it was just, it was rough. It was rough. And we just worked hard. But we both look back and think about that season of struggle and who we became and how it taught us to trust each other and learn each other and make peace with not having everything we wanted. We got to see each other's work ethic. We got to be a part of the process of watching each other grow up and mature. And that was the true gift. 
which is why I'd like to announce that, babe, I sold our house, and we are getting, no, I'm just kidding. I think this is what the wise men's gifts pointed to, Jesus' true self. Because each of these three gifts, they're, they're not really about status. They were symbols of identity. Jesus was given gold, which is a precious metal reserved for royalty because these travelers saw him as a king. They gave him frankincense, which was a ceremonial incense because they saw him as a priest, that he was going to be a go-between between God and humans. They gave him myrrh, which was this oil for salving wounds and often preparing bodies for burial because they saw Jesus, even as an infant, as a prophet who would suffer persecution for his ideas. And I think what made these gifts meaningful wasn't what they were worth, but what they made clear to Jesus about his worth. And I think the same thing is true of you. I think the most valuable thing that you can give others isn't a thing at all. It's what you say to them about what you see in them. And I would argue that the best gifts you have ever been given in your entire life with somebody making a pronouncement over you that they saw something in you that you did not see. They encouraged you when you had nothing going for you as far as you could tell. It was a dark moment in your life where somebody's words brought light. It was a, a moment where somebody said something that changed how you saw yourself that gave you the courage to keep going, that made you believe that you could be or achieve something more than what you had settled for. And you can give this gift away. These gifts that the wise men give Jesus are really just these elaborate object lessons to communicate the words that they were saying. This is how we see you. And to do this for the people around you doesn't cost you money, but it does, it does require attentiveness and witness and sincerity. It's not about the monetary cost. It's about the relational investment. And I think that's what we are all after. And this is why I want to challenge you to do something this Christmas a little bit different. This is your pre-Christmas homework, okay? I want to challenge you this week to make a different kind of Christmas list to take some time to write four or five specific things that you see and value in the people closest to you, and I want you to share it with them face-to-face. -face. I know you could text it. I know you could just slip into their DMs. But it's so powerful when someone sits across from you, even if it doesn't come out right, and they say, you know what I love about you? Do you know what I see in you? Do you know why I am proud of you? Do you know why I'm expectant about your future? It, when somebody starts a conversation with those words, I don't know anybody who's like, not interested. You know, we don't need to, I don't really care. We're all like, what? Because we understand we're being given an incredible gift. And I, I think this Christmas, what the people around you need most from you 
is for you to communicate what you see in them. Because that's what sustains them when nothing else around them is going right. Would you bow your heads across this space? I want to just pray this into your life today. God, as we are a week away from celebrating your birthday, as we reflect on this ancient story, we're reminded that we are like every person who has ever been. We go through difficult things. We begin to think that if we had certain things, that that would fix what is wrong about our life. And yet what you came to give us was not a thing. It was you. You gave us the person of Jesus. You gave us your presence. You gave us your witness. You gave us the promise that you will never leave us. You will never abandon us. That you are always there. And while we are busy this season looking at what we want to get and what we want to give that is going to make us and everyone else so much happier. God, may we turn to you and realize that you are what we need, that you are the only voice that can tell us who we are, that there is no status symbol we can acquire that will show us our true identity, but through your word, you can speak it directly to us. And God, I pray that we would mimic and model you with the people in our lives that we wouldn't just give them presence, that we would give them our presence, that we would be with them, that we would be paying attention, that we would set our phones aside, that we would be fully in the moment this Christmas with the people who need our time and attention the most. And God, may the words we speak into their lives be divinely inspired. May it not just be the good things we see in them, may it be the good things that you see in them, that you placed in them, that need to be brought to the surface so that they can move forward and experience the calling that you have on their lives. God, I pray that this Christmas we would experience true and deep fulfillment, not because of a thing we receive, but because we have received your love and your acceptance and your forgiveness and we are able to reflect that to those around us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.